Well, good morning, everyone. Adjusting the things here. Usually the mic is, is, is to my left. This is really throwing me. There we go. Um, there we go. Uh, it is great, great to be together. Uh, you know, we really, uh, really are blessed uh, by Jesus' presence, as we just sang. Uh, it shows up in so many ways, in so many forms, every time we come together as a church. And the sweet fellowship, uh, the worship together, and certainly uh, as we hear from God's Word and we take communion, which is what we're going to do here in a moment. Uh, have a sermon from the Gospel of Luke. You can turn, be turning to uh, Luke chapter 14. Uh, we'll be looking at that here uh, in a moment. Um, do want to welcome you for visiting with us today. Uh, we are a church who wants you to feel the love of Christ, uh, whether it's your first time ever at church or your thousandth, and we definitely want to welcome uh, people who are passing through from different places. I have a very special guest uh, with me today. My mother's here all the way from the U.S., Jane, so welcome her, please. Amen. She's had a lovely time uh, enjoying the U.K. and all of its beautiful land and people, and uh, we were up in Scotland last weekend, and uh, so great to have you here. Love you a lot, Mom, and uh, thank you for putting up with me for 42 years. <laughs> Uh, I do want to welcome uh, the students. Are, I think the students had a retreat this weekend, and they're all heading back. Um, so welcome back to the students on your little retreat. Uh, hopefully it was like a mountaintop moment like Jesus had with his disciples. And the reason I say that is because Freshers' Week in the city starts this week, and at UOB it's next week. So church, let's be praying for our student ministry. Uh, we really want to have a great student ministry in the Birmingham Church. Of course, we just meet down the road from the University of Birmingham right now. Uh, and we really believe that God wants to continue to, to, to help our church. Stay young as we get old. And a big part of that is the student ministry. So we want to be praying for them. And the freshers week that are coming up, we have some new students moving in, which I'm sure we'll introduce here uh, in the next few weeks. So, uh, Gospel of Luke here. Uh, Matt did a great job last Sunday. I listened to the sermon. Uh, if you missed the sermons on Sunday, please listen to the sermons online. Please, as a member of the church, stay a part of what we're doing because we really want to use the Sunday sermons to shape our, 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 our unity, to shape our thinking, because uh, we're really digging in the Bible. And so hopefully you do that. I did that with Matt's sermon, and I really enjoyed it. got a lot out of it. Uh, you know, there in Luke 14, Matt preached how Jesus shows up at, the, at a Pharisee's house for dinner, and, uh, and Jesus serves him dessert in the form of a rebuke, basically, uh, from a parable about this great banquet. And, and he really challenges the Jews. They, they're invited to God's table, but they don't seem to want to come. And here he is, God in the flesh, Jesus himself, which we'll celebrate here at the end as we take communion, and, and they don't get it. And so Jesus says in verse 24, I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. You know, everyone is invited to Christ's table. And that's going to be quite a banquet, isn't it? Uh, you know, but, but do we want to come is more of the challenge. If we don't want to come, we're not really sure, like those Jews in Jesus' day... I believe it's because we don't have a clue what he's offering us. We don't really get the banquet that is before us in Christ if we're not willing to come to his table when he gives us that invitation. And hopefully today he'll invite us. Uh, if we're already at that table, he'll invite us to, to feast a little more. And hopefully today, if you've not decided yet to become a Christian and sit at that table, you'll make the decision to accept that invitation and come to Jesus' table and become a Christian very, very soon. Uh, we have been doing a sermon we wrapped up a few weeks ago 
called bodybuilding. And it wasn't about, you know, the physical side of that, but the spiritual aspect of that. Because we are Christ's body, the church. And we were really asking every member to really be a part of a unified vision moving forward as a church. Um, and it was a tremendous time. Moving was awesome. There was excitement. There's a lot of good news. We kind of reflected on what God had been doing. They see, there you go. I'm not used to that. Uh, what God had been doing uh, through the through the bodybuilding series. Um, and so I'm very excited about what God is doing. But I believe we're not done with that. I believe that's my, maybe the end of the beginning yeah. of us deciding to be a, a church that doesn't just, doesn't just show up at the Lord's gym on occasion. No, that, that we show up every day trying to get fit, trying to get strong, trying to get spiritually ready for what He's called us to do and what He's called us to share in in His great work on this planet. And so I think bodybuilding was a good start, but what do we do now? And I believe it, what really matters now is, is going back to what really, really matters more than anything, which is we've got to love Jesus more. We gotta love Jesus more. We we gotta wanna follow him more. And so it's great to be back in the gospel of Luke. Amen. So Luke 14, we're gonna continue to do that here this morning, then we'll take communion at the end. Luke 14, pick it up with me in verse 25, where we left off last Sunday. It says there in Luke 14, verse 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turned to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, Wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. He goes on in verse 27. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or he goes on. Suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. When he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. He then concludes the section, salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. This is an inspiring and very challenging passage. Jesus here, he talks about love. He talks about construction and he talks about war. These large crowds are following Jesus. We know as the miracles uh, started to increase, as the impact of his ministry starts to increase, his popularity, uh, in many senses, starts to increase as well. And so Jesus tests this crowd through a statement of love here in the first few verses, and then two parables about construction and war. And if you notice in the text here, in the text here, you know, Jesus three times, three times in the text... He says, hey, if you, if you can't accept what I'm saying right now, you cannot be my disciple. Three times. He makes a very dogmatic, black and white, dare I even say judgmental, statement. This is Jesus, you know, full of love, full of grace. But he's not afraid in that love and that grace to draw lines. And to challenge us as he challenges them. Jesus is clear here. If he is not Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all. If he is not Lord of all, he says, then he is not Lord at all. And so Jesus, you know, he, he asks us he asks us some tough questions. 
Sorry, I'm one slide ahead. The first part is, is really about our love. You know, who do we love the most? The second question I think he asked us in the first parable is, is, is what are you building in your life? Where, where, where is this all headed? And lastly, with the, the parable about the war, whose side are you fighting on? Which king ultimately do you and I serve? And the context, as we've already said, back in Luke 9, there's a shift. Jesus now is, he's, he's left Galilee and he's heading down south to Judea. He's heading to Jerusalem and he's heading to his impending death. And he knows it's coming. And so as he knows the most intense moment uh, in history is coming, he, he gives us some pretty intense teachings. Because he wants us to get, he wants us to get what is at stake. And we see here, you can follow Jesus, but not really be a disciple. And isn't that the challenge of Christianity today? Many people who, who, who say they're Christians with their mouths, but their lives don't back it up. Many people who go to church on Sunday morning and look and act a certain way, but, but, but Monday through Saturday, they're no different than the pagan neighbor or the atheist neighbor. And the way they act and the things they do and the way they live their lives. So this is a great passage in light of modern Christianity. And it's a great passage for those of us who believe, no, I'm not that person. I truly am a Christian. Well, Jesus says, are you really? Are you really my disciple based on these three qualities of discipleship? So this is going to be challenging. But I believe Jesus does this in love for us. I believe Jesus does this with incredible grace as he challenges us to the call of discipleship. I hope we'll feel that, but I hope we'll also feel challenged. Amen. And so the first thing here he calls us to is loyal love. He first calls us to loyal love as he calls this crowd. You know, he, he makes this strong statement. If anyone comes to me and does not hate, that's, that's, that's not a typo in the Greek manuscripts. He says, anyone does, does not hate father, mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person, he says, cannot be my disciple. Wow. These are strong relationships, Jesus lists. Some of the, the relationships that, that influence us the most, right? And shape our lives the most. And Jesus here, what, what is he saying is always the question, right? Well, well, I think if you know Jesus and his other teachings throughout the Gospels, I don't think he's literally saying we should hate these people. But he's saying we should love him so much more than these people who we should love that it would be like hate in comparison. That our loyalty to him is so much greater than our loyalty to anyone else. So there's no competition. Let me ask you a question. You know, Finish the sentence. Jesus is our fill-in-the-blank biblically. What is he? He's our Lord. He's our Savior. He's our friend, yes. He's our brother. He says that in another place. And, and oftentimes with Jesus, we, we approach Him positionally. He, he's our leader. You know, He's our Lord. He's our Savior. But we sometimes forget about the relational side of Jesus. He, he, he's our brother. He, he came and, and clothed Himself in our humanity as God in the flesh. He said in John 15, he's, he's our friend. He's our friend. And He even now sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. He, he, you know, he, is our, he is our leader. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. But He's also our friend and our brother. And I believe you'll obey your boss at work. Because you know you might lose your job if you don't, right? But, but would you die for your boss? Most of us are shaking our heads. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't 
think so, right? And, and that's the thing with discipleship that's so important. We, we, we have to get the, the relational side of the call of discipleship. But oftentimes we just go on the positional side with Jesus. And we miss... You know, you, you lay down your life for someone you truly love. You lay down your life for a friend. I lay down my life for my wife. I lay down my life for my mother because, because I love them. Not because of the, the genetic you know, connection to my mother or the vow I made to my wife you know, on my wedding day. And, and, and Oh, I have a ring, so I have to die. No, I love my wife. I love my mother. So therefore, I would lay down my life for them. And that's what Jesus talks about. He says in Luke 16, verse 13, a great scripture. Sometimes on a hard scripture, if you don't know how to interpret it, look at other scriptures. Let, let, let the scriptures interpret the scriptures. And this scripture helps, I think, with this passage to see that Jesus is not promoting hate, but actually love. Luke 16, 13. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. To follow Jesus, you know, it means to be more loyal to him than anyone else or anything else. Right? And that's what he's calling us to here. It's a relational priority. That he's, he's number one and there's not a close second when it comes to your relationships. But if I ask you, who, who, who's, who's your number one relationship? For the sisters, who's the number one man in your life? You know, for the brothers, you know, who, who's, that, who's that man you got a man crush on? You know, you know, who is that? And a lot of times we don't think of Jesus. We quickly think of a person. But biblically we are in a relationship with Jesus. And He should be that real to us. He should be that real to us. That we can love Him. And that's what is amazing about this passage where He says, you've you got to hate these people you know, to follow Me. It, it's a statement of potential. Because I think about you know, my marriage to my wife. We've been married 18 years with my mother and aunt were here. And we my, missed our wedding Saturday. She wanted to see our wedding video. So we dusted that thing off, you know, and uh, got it out. And, and it, was, it was just so encouraging to see, you know, the things we, we talked about in our vows. And, you know, speaking of children, and there's our four children, you know. And, and speaking of serving God, and here we are in Birmingham even serving God. It was, it was so encouraging to me. And it just made me fall in love with my wife even more. You know, it made me operate to renew those vows. You know, that's how I was feeling that night. And as much as I love my wife, Jesus is saying, that's great for us. But, but you're you're actually you're actually capable of loving me even more because your wife is awesome and I agree with him on that. He's not speaking to me right now, but if he was, you know. But 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 what I'm offering you is even greater than that. The love I'm offering you, the relationship I'm offering you, is even greater than that. It's an amazing statement about what we can have in a relationship with Jesus. But maybe the greatest challenge is, is not that we, we love our wives or our husbands or our kids, you know, m- more than Jesus. Maybe it's actually the last one. What's the last one he says you got to hate? Your own life. A lot of us, we're just, honestly, if, if push comes to shove, we're in love with ourselves. And that's what keeps us from loving Jesus the way we ought to. Let's just be honest about that. That's our simple nature right there, all of us. And that's maybe the worst one. Because we fool ourselves, don't we? If we are disciples of Jesus, the call to sacrifice is coming for us all. Our money, as we're doing a special contribution right now, our gifts, our time. But the real issue is the source of that call, not the resources. Do we get who is calling us and what he's calling us to? Discipleship is a loyal love for the one who loved us so loyally that he died for us. Discipleship is a loyal love for the one who loved us so loyally that he died for us. 
And if, that's, if I don't get that in my heart, Jesus says, I cannot be His disciple. Because I've cheapened His grace. And I haven't appreciated what He's done for me in my life. And so, if you're a Christian, do you love Him like that? I'm sure you have in the past, or you wouldn't have become a Christian. But is that love still alive in your heart? And amen. God is gracious. God is kind. God is merciful. He'll, Jesus will work with us. Because we struggle up and down in that love. We don't need to freak out about that. But we need to, we need to repent. If that's not the loyal love that we have in our heart for Jesus. And if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, well, you might think, oh, it's so hard, it's so complicated, I don't know if I can really believe in God. But if you, if you get His love, you will love Him. And if you love Him, you'll become a Christian. It's not, it's not really that complicated at the end of the day, but you've got to get His love, and we'd love to help you. We'd love to help you get His love. Amen. Come for it. After calling the crowd to count the cost of loyal love, he then goes on here to talk about uh, two other two other forms of counting the cost here through these two parables. So we got loyal love. The next thing here is we got construction costs. Loyal love, and next here we have construction costs. The first parable here uh, in verses twenty-eight through thirty. He, you know, he says, you know, suppose he wants to build a tower. Uh, what is he talking about? We think of like Donald Trump, right? When we hear tower, no, he's not referring to that. Uh, back in Palestine, you know, they would they would erect towers. In the vineyards, so you could watch over the vineyards because these are very these are very expensive things back then. This is like your whole this is your whole livelihood. These vineyards, this was everything, and so they would erect these towers so they could watch for thieves, so they could watch for for, for pests and pestilence, you know, coming into the vineyards. So he's like to refer to this kind of a tower here uh, in the passage. He says, if you're going to do that, you got to make sure you got enough money to complete it, right? Because it would be foolish to start that project and not finish it. You know, you got to have a good budget. To build that tower. And what does that mean for us? Well, discipleship is building life through Jesus, right? It's looking at at, at our spiritual budgets and and making decisions to build our life through Jesus. Like that tower in that vineyard. And what's interesting in verse 28, he says, Suppose a man wants to build a tower. You know, it, it, it reiterates this idea that in life, following Jesus, we do have choices. We have a lot of choices. We have a lot of freedom in what it means to follow Jesus. And that's a great thing in the church, right? But, but that's a very dangerous thing too, right? We have to think about the cost spiritually and the decisions that we make. And Jesus says here, the worst thing is, is not why did I do this and why did I do that for Jesus. According to this, it's why did I start something for Jesus and not finish it. Jesus says that's far worse. It's far worse to say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to build this for you and then stop halfway through. Jesus says that's actually far worse. Because people will ridicule that. And isn't that, you know, one of the easiest ways to criticize the church? Oh, you hypocrites! You don't do what you say. You say you're going to build this tower, but you don't do it. You act like everybody else. And hey, man, we could probably say the same thing to the atheists and the pagans, but that's another story. That's another story. An unfinished Christian life is a, is a more shocking spectacle, according to Jesus, than one never started. And the Bible actually says if you get Jesus' love, His grace, His truth, and you start living as a disciple, then you stop. It actually says you're far worse than an atheist who doesn't even know the difference. Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 20 to 22. Peter is referring to these men who have become corrupt, doctrinally and spiritually. And he says, if they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and again are entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. 
Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit. And a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. It's a challenging passage. According to Peter, through the Holy Spirit here, it's an insult to the grace of God. Like this parable, it it brings ridicule upon the name of Jesus for us to to, to start a life of discipleship for Jesus and then to say, Oh, you know what? Got my feelings hurt. I'm done. Oh, you know what? I keep giving to Jesus and and I don't see the return. I'm done. That's an insult to to the grace of God. Discipleship requires a willingness to pay today. I appreciate all we've done yesterday for Jesus. And this church has 30 years of that. And that's pretty awesome. But it's irrelevant today, really. Discipleship is, is I'm willing to pay it all today. I'm willing to pay it all tomorrow. That's the call of discipleship today. Today and tomorrow is going to require more of us to truly be Christians, to truly be disciples. And again, Jesus has paid far more than we ever will. He's paid far more than we ever will through his death on the cross to give us far more than we deserve. The payoff's going to be really good in the end. And Jesus paid the ultimate price for that. Discipleship is building life through Jesus. And it is worth whatever it costs. It is worth whatever it costs. So we got construction costs, loyal love, and finally, will war. A will war. Verses 31 to 33, Jesus then equates following him to... To the story of two kings. One king's got 10,000 men. One king's got 20,000 men. I think king with, with 10,000 men ought to consider. Whoa, wait a second. I'm outnumbered two to one. And this is hand-to-hand combat days. There were no, there were, there were no new buttons, right, to, 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 to turn the tide there. It was, it was very unlikely in hand-to-hand combat that, that the king with 10,000 men would defeat the king coming against him with 20,000. Unless, you know, Willem Wallace was around back then or something, right? It, it wasn't going to happen. So discipleship, uh, Jesus says here, I believe, is a battle of the will. It's a battle of the will. Will I surrender my will, my life, my soul, to someone greater than me? Jesus, of course, represents the greater king here. And isn't it, isn't it interesting, in verse 33, he says, In the same way, any of you who does not do everything he has cannot, cannot be my disciple. And so Jesus, he calls us kings. That, that's, again, a statement of great potential. He likens us to a king with an army. You know, we're made in his image. We are capable of great things. But we won't really understand that. We won't really even achieve that. We won't even fulfill that if we don't surrender to the king. And get his terms of peace. Because if we we are not surrendered to the king of kings and lord of lords, our life is full of sin. And if our life is full of sin, we're not living life. We're dying. If our life is full of sin, we're, we don't have any peace. We're at war with God Himself. And then ultimately we, we become at war with each other. What leads to so much conflict in this life? It's, it's our sin. And Jesus, as our great King, He offers us peace. He offers us peace. And we have to choose that. And that's what discipleship is. It's like, I want, I want the peace of God in my life. Sign me up. But you gotta, you got to raise the white flag. Spiritually, to, to understand and connect with and find that peace. And all those of us who, who, who made that decision, we don't regret it. We look at how, 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 how worn down we were and how frustrated we were with, with the war of sin and the war of the world. And, 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 we, and we realize what Jesus was offering us. His terms of peace, we said, where do I sign? 
You know what I mean? That, that's the decision of baptism. Baptism is not, it's not the end, it's the beginning. You just say, yeah, sign me up. Sign me up. Discipleship, though, is, it's not a one-time decision to surrender. It's an everyday decision to surrender. Saying Jesus is Lord in 1993 or 2003 or, th- or three days ago is not enough. We must be there still every day. And that, that's me having my quiet time in the morning. Raising the flag. Let me surrender to Jesus' will in my life. That's me going on my prayer walk every day. I, please, Jesus, keep me humble. Keep me surrendered because I know. I know where it could go if I don't. I know who I am without God at the center. I lived that way for 19 years and I don't want to go back. And it's, it, and it's intimidating language. Verse 31, you know, the king coming against him. Jesus says, as Jesus says, the king is coming. The king is coming. It's not a matter of, it's not a matter of if. It's a matter of now. The king is coming, right? The king is coming. I have to surrender the decision I make to Christ before and after I make it. Again, it's a continual thing. And the parable reminds us Jesus is coming back. He enters Jerusalem before he dies at the end of Luke's gospel on a donkey. A king coming in peace. But Revelation says he's going to come back on a white horse. A king coming at war. That's reflective of that, this parable. We will, we will all one day face, sooner or later, an invading king in this world. And he will be the king of kings and lord of lords, the Bible says. And C.S. Lewis, uh, you know, he's so quotable, speaking of, of, of people who question why God doesn't just fully reveal himself. is another answer to uh, James's uh, daughter's question. Um, and he talks about, you know, he answers this question by talking about God's return. And he says, God will invade. Referring to one day when Jesus returns. But I wonder whether people who ask God to interfere openly and directly in our world quite realize what it will be like when he does. When that happens, it is the end of the world. When the author walks onto the stage, the play is over. God is going to invade, all right, he says. But what is the good of saying you are on his side then when you see the whole natural universe melting away like a dream and something else, something it never entered into your head to conceive, comes crashing in? Something so beautiful to some of us and so terrible to others that none of us will have any choice left. For this time it will, for this time it will be God without disguise. Something so overwhelming that it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. It will be too late then to choose your side. There is no use saying you choose to lie down when it has become impossible to stand up. That will not be the time for choosing, he goes on to say. It will be the time when we discover which side we really have chosen. Whether we realized it before or not. Now, today, this moment, he pleads, is our chance to choose the right side. God is holding back to give us that chance. It will not last forever. We must take it or leave it. King Jesus will return, according to the Bible. And if we are surrendered to to King Jesus, we're going to get to know his irresistible and unbelievable love. And it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful moment beyond our comprehension. But if we're trying to negotiate in this life, we're trying to negotiate with that king, the Bible says we're going to know irresistible terror. Because there's nothing worse than than living in eternity separated from God. Which is what the Bible says hell ultimately is. 
But that's our choice. We can choose King Jesus now, and then we'll have irresistible love, or we can, we can choose our own way, live in our own little kingdom, and then one day when He returns, we'll have made our choice. And the choice is ours. In discipleship, we stay surrendered to a good and just King. And we get to be a part of His kingdom. We get every day invited back to eat at His table. And so may we all every day make the right choice to continue to surrender our lives to Jesus. You know, we're all making decisions. We're all building things. We're all battling things every single day. And they all have huge implications. Sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes it's not. And this is a really a, a game changer for me, these two parables. Because according to Jesus, if you, if you spend money and you work hard, according to this parable, you, you will then have a tower to protect and watch over your vineyard. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Who wants to who wants to start something and spend money on something and it just it just goes to waste? No one wants that. And so Jesus is saying, if if you can really come to me and be my disciple, I'm going to take care of you. You're you're going to have spiritual wealth beyond measure. You're going to be you're going to be uh, in a vineyard protected by a great tower. And again, the parable of the two kings. If you surrender to King Jesus, you won't get ruined in life. And then you will receive the ultimate life, which is eternal life in His kingdom. You actually get peace if you surrender to that king. You actually get protection from him. And so in Christ, the great paradox is, in Christ, loss is actually gain. And that's why discipleship is wonderful. That's why discipleship is good. That's why we need to go after that every single day with all of our hearts. Because when we lose things for Jesus, we actually gain that's what he said, right? That's what he said. He said, I tell you the truth in Mark 10, 29. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel, Jesus says, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, and along with them persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. If we sacrifice to God our time, talent, money, the yield back will be pretty good. According to Jesus here, it's a hundred times the yield. You give him one percent, you get back a hundred percent. You give him four thousand, you get back four hundred thousand. That's a pretty good yield. I'm not much of an economist. I'm not much of a businessman, but I, I think in real estate and stocks, you don't usually get that kind of a yield. A hundred times. And what does it mean? Is it literal? Is it spiritual? I, I think that's highly debatable. But it's going to be good. It's going to be good. With Jesus, whatever, whatever we, we, we give to Him, it always goes up. Whatever we give to Him, it always increases. Whatever we truly give to Him, He always takes it and multiplies it. And if you've been a Christian for a little while, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've seen it. I've seen it. We, we, we've seen it over and over again. And if you're a younger Christian... This should fire you up to, to, to lay down your life more, to, to get closer to Jesus, because he, he has a wonderful plan for your life. But yes, it's challenging. Yes, it's not easy. But it is the best life. You know, and he concludes here in verse 34. He says, you know, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Jesus says you got to stay salty. Spiritually, you got to stay salty. 
Salt preserves back then, especially without refrigeration, but it also brings out flavor. And again, it did the same, you know, back then. And, and discipleship, I think, really helps us to stay salty. It takes us back to what really matters. It, it keeps our faith useful. It keeps our faith relevant. Without discipleship, we lose that salt really fast. If you're a Christian today, are you still salty? Are you willing to, to make hard but right choices? Willing to surrender to Jesus over and over again? And where do you need to get that saltiness back? Where do you need to, to appreciate God's grace and patience with you and get that saltiness back in your life? And what kind of flavor? What kind of flavor is Jesus going to add when you do that? What way is He going to preserve your life when you go after that? In discipleship, yes, we lose something, but we gain something far better. Yeah. Discipleship is a gift. It asks us for more, but it gives us even more than it asks. And so church, today, let's keep loving Jesus with more and more loyalty above all. Let's keep making the hard but right choices, building a life that we cannot lose in Him. And let's keep raising the white flag, surrendering to a good and just King who will bring us never-ending peace. Let's be disciples of Jesus. Who give up what we cannot keep to gain what we cannot lose. If you're visiting with us today, thank you for, uh, for coming and joining us. We're glad you're here. Are you, are you truly a disciple of Jesus is my question for you if you're visiting with us today. And, and, and I could say, according to Acts 11.26, are you a Christian? Because disciple and Christian in the New Testament are synonyms. So this call that Jesus gives to the crowd here in Luke 14 is a call to you. It's a call to me today. And if you say you're a Christian, but you don't live the way he says you should live here, you've got to really take a step back and think about that. Because it's not my call, and it's not your call whether you're a Christian or not. That's Jesus' call. And I'm not, I'm not sharing with you my thoughts. I'm sharing with you his thoughts. And he says, if you don't live this way, you cannot be my disciple. Three times. And I, I get the struggle. I get it. If you're struggling with that concept, yeah, I like it, but I get it. I grew up 19 years, you know, a, a rebel against God. You know, I didn't raise my white flag. I raised the flag, flag of forest every day, you know. I, it, was, it was waving in the wind every day, you know. I lived, life, I lived life the way I wanted to live. I was in the center of my life, and I said, Jesus, you can come follow me. But I wasn't following Him. But I called myself a Christian. I claimed the I claimed heaven was was mine, but there was no lordship of Jesus, and so Jesus was not my lord at all. And I'm so thankful. 23 years ago, I made the decision to raise that white flag. Oh my goodness! Praise God! Praise God! I raised that white flag, and I can't imagine where my life would be today had I kept waging war against God, had I kept trying to build my life the way the world tells me to build my life. As if politicians or, or economics has the answers. As if some school institution is going to help me figure it all out. The world is lost. The world doesn't have a clue. We have so much information. We have so much technology. We have so much at our fingertips today. We live longer than anyone's ever lived. We live better than anyone's ever lived in the history of the world. But look at the world. Look at all the wars. Look at all the tension. Look at all the anger. Look at all the, the drug use. Look at all the pornography. It's a messed up place. Because we're messing it up. And Jesus is offering us a far better way. And if you're not a Christian today, or you're thinking about becoming a Christian, my question for you is, what are you waiting for in raising that white flag? What are you hanging on to? Because I got to the point where I realized, I'm hanging on to my life, and I'm hanging on to my sin, and I can't raise the flag until I let it go. 
And so I want to encourage you, if you're hanging on to something, that's what's holding you back from becoming a Christian, let it go. And come to Him. And raise that white flag. And as a church, we'd love to help you do that. Please see us if we can. Jesus calls us all to the highest and best we could be. But He Himself gave even more. And that's how we're going to end our time here, by taking communion. You know, Jesus, He, 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 he left heaven. He left His Father in heaven. He calls us to give up our, our closest relationships, but He gave up His closest relationship. Right? He gave up, you know, he, he, calls us, he calls us to build a life, but that's exactly what He did for 33 years. He built the greatest life that's ever been built. And He lived a perfect life. You know, He, he, he calls us to surrender. What more surrender could be displayed than God Himself dying on a cross in our place? What more could He have surrendered for us than His own body and His own blood? This Jesus whom, whom, whom calls us to all has given us far more in His work on the cross. And what a better way to end our call to discipleship today than to, to reflect on that sacrifice. As we take communion, we remember the price that was paid. And we don't try to make a bargain with God. But a lot of times as we approach communion, we're trying to bargain with God. No, today there is, we can't bargain with God. There's no bargain price because the ultimate price was paid. His blood was poured out. His body was broken so that we could, we could have life in Him. And so today, whether a disciple or not, let us be motivated. Let us be inspired. Let us be challenged and encouraged uh, by Jesus' life and His example as we reflect here and take communion together. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you that your son was willing to practice what he preached to us thousands of years ago on this earth. Thank you that he was willing to leave and become a man. And not just become a man, but a perfect example for us, God, to follow. The the, the way, the truth, and the life was he. And we pray, God, today as we take the bread which represents his body and the cup which represents his blood. If we're a Christian God today, we we can take that with gratitude. And we can take that with conviction. And we can take that... Motivated to repent of our lack of discipleship, God. That we will not uh, b- believe or practice cheap grace. Because we know Jesus paid the ultimate price. Not, not to hinder us, not to harm us, but to set us free. To give us a life of discipleship, God, which truly is a gift. Help us to see this. As he says at the end of the passage, He who has ears, ears let him hear. So for all the he's and the she's in the room here, God, help us to hear. Jesus' words and get them and help them to change our lives. Thank you for this time to reflect on that as we take the bread and the cup. In the praise of Jesus' name, amen.